1: And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian.
2: Hey everybody, welcome to Creature
0: Feature, the show where we examine the weirdest creatures and humans on the planet. I'm your host, Katie Golden, I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and I'm certainly not a hive mind intelligence of every bird on the planet who are waiting to make their move for the grand avian revolution. Today we're talking about cryptids. What are they? Are they real? Are they right behind you? The truth behind Mothman, the Chupacabra, and Bigfoot, and what they don't want you to know. Who's they? I I don't actually know. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, what slimy, terrible creature may be lurking right under your feet? So why do we love cryptids? Cryptids are animals that people believe exist based on anecdotal evidence, rumors, myths, folktales, and conspiracy theories. There are cryptid sightings all over the world, in almost every culture. Why are they so compelling? I think the idea of secretive animals who elude our attempts to document them is a massively appealing one. It's the ultimate freedom to live in isolation, nimbly evading the watchful eyes of human society, only being caught in the blurry photos of conveniently terrible photographers. Maybe it's wish-fulfillment fantasy. We live in a hyper-surveilled world, either in tight-knit communities who know everything about you, or vast metropolises with the details of your existence on file. Cryptids are an escape from society, monsters who are more revealing of our own psychological quirks. Well, at least that's the story the man would have you believe. What if I I told you there are some real life cryptids. Today we'll be looking at the facts behind the cryptids, what it would mean if they actually existed, and the real animals that are just as crazy as the cryptids themselves. Joining me today to discuss this is Tess Lynch from Night Call Podcast. Hi Katie, how are you? Great, I'm so excited to have you because I know you guys love to talk about conspiracy theories and it's just, it's like all those late night conversations that you have with your friends when, you know, you're, you're winding down from the day and then you're just, your mind goes to incredibly creative places
3: it's really fun and i actually i was so excited that we're going to talk about cryptids because we've talked about cryptids on the podcast before but also we're all steely dan fans and of course the squonk is memorialized by steely dan a um, squonk. the squonk the cryptid the squonk that cries
0: oh my god yeah so my my dad's a big steely dan fan he's so a dan I, fan he's a dan fan dad dad dan fan Nice, (laughs) Um,
3: but uh i actually am not familiar with this the squonk the squonk there is a book um that i feel like i talk about a lot and everyone's always like okay tess but it's called (laughs) um fearsome creatures of the north lumberwoods i think it has like a kind of clunky title it's pretty specific it is yeah it's been out of print for a while but um they have these like kind of crude doodles it's a very old book of um all of these like different regional cryptids and the Wendigo is probably like the most well known um but then the Squonk is it's like it's it's just a creature that's like a depressed cryptid and Aww. it wanders around weeping Aww. yeah and so there's a Steely squonk. Dan song called Any Major Dude Will Tell You and it's like have you seen a Aww, yeah. squonk's tears yeah squonk squonk <laughs>
0: that makes me sad i know
3: um
0: so First, we're going to talk about another cryptid that I think is kind of sympathetic. You know, like there's I think that's what's so cool about a lot of these cryptids. I mean, some of them are supposedly evil, but yeah. a lot of them are just like they're kind of sympathetic in a way. Like you kind of want to get to know them, you know, like Bigfoot. Um, but first, we're going to talk about Mothman.
3: Oh, Mothman. Yes.
0: Um So uh, just for those of you who may not know, Mothman is a cryptid originating from West Virginia. Uh, It started in 1966 when several grave diggers spotted a brown winged creature uh, too big to be any kind of bird. Uh, And later, a couple driving at night saw a huge creature with glowing red eyes, no neck and wings folded against its back. Uh, the Point Pleasant Register, one of the local papers, reported, quote, couple sees man-sized bird, creature, something. Uh, and then ever since then, there have been sightings throughout the years. Uh, some people believe that the Mothman uh, pops up right before an uh, oncoming tragedy or catastrophe. Um, and so it's it's such an interest. It's I really love this one. It's uh, so creative. It's very, there's something kind of eerie. It's like not... Because the Mothman ha- doesn't necessarily hurt anyone, but it's just
3: spooky. It's just warning you. Right, right. Yeah, that the shit's going like to hit the Like a fan. bad omen. Yeah. yeah. Um. I, I, n- I had never heard about the Mothman until, obviously, the Mothman prophecies. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not sure how much of this, probably zero, is based on the actual legend. But, um, yeah, I had no idea that it was, like, a, a human-sized necklace yeah. thing. Um. But, I mean, you kind of wonder if there's, like... You you know kind of like with near death experiences and things like that, I, there are tend to be like similar threads. So it makes I mean, if you just see like a f- kind of lumpy specter yeah. right before something terrible happens, yeah. it could be like an adrenaline response. Yeah. Um. But the red eyes are always a nice touch. Yeah. Love a cryptid with the red yes, glowing those eyes. Those
0: red glowing eyes. Um. I actually get occasional sleep paralysis. Oh um, no. And it's not really the hallucinating. it's more of the menacing presence Mm -hmm. where something is sitting, something evil is sitting on my chest. Um, So I feel like it's dictated by the kind of culture I consume. So if I am, I listen to a lot of like murder podcasts and stuff. So when I listen to those and I get sleep paralysis, it's it's like, oh, it's a murderer sitting on my chest. Mm -hmm. Like, but what's weird is I don't, I think the part of my brain that's responsible for scaring me is also asleep, uh, whatever specific disorder is going on. So like, I'm like not afraid, but I'm completely convinced to like I'm going to get killed by a serial killer. But I'm like, I'm I'm disappointed, but I'm not scared. I'm right. like,
3: like, well, <laughs> oh, man. Jesus,
0: yeah. that sucks. <laughs> so I feel like if I got sleep paralysis and I really absorbed the Mothman prophecies, I might see a Mothman and, and be like, ah, oh, geez. What, yeah. Oh,
3: sucks the Mothman. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just because you're so relaxed that you can't have that normal kind of like Scholes? Yeah, I think so
0: like with a with sleep paralysis, your brain is uh, normally when it comes out of uh, REM, rapid eye movement, sleep, there's sort of a process um, of like the different parts of the brain kind of essentially turning back on. Right. Um, but like if your sleep is disturbed and like say you're uh, so the pons in your brain is, will stop si- sending signals to your spinal cord. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you that's why you're paralyzed. Uh, and. Uh, But if other parts of your brain, like parts of the prefrontal cortex wake up uh, or the occipital lobe, and that's for people who get the visual hallucinations, that'll start to uh, give, you'll start to process the real world, but then it connects with, um, like your amygdala isn't fully operating at 100% and it's not um, communicating well with the prefrontal cortex. So I think in my case, for whatever reason, like the amygdala isn't, is not communicating well. And then it's like so that fear response is just not there it's right. like it's like i have it's like when you see someone in your dream and you don't have the emotional connection to them and it's yeah. really bizarre so it's like that it's like i'm i'm emotionally distant from this feeling of doom and it's it's very weird
3: that's fascinating maybe that's a good thing i mean i guess it is good for it, yeah. me i know
0: some people with sleep paralysis it's extremely terrifying so right, i'm pretty yeah. lucky <laughs> um so i'm I, in terms of mothman uh, what i think if like I'm trying to think of a real like say this is real right like what would a moth man moth human hybrid be like um one thing I think that people that makes it really goofy is that it would be covered in these big flaky scales just like uh because moths you know how moths are dusty yeah those are little microscopic scales that play a role in coloration and it's also thought they might be Um, uh, sort of thermoregulation, so like Mm -hmm. insulating them and keeping uh, or absorbing sunlight so they don't overheat or uh, get too cold. Um, And so if it's like a proportionally sized... You know, moth wing, (laughs) and then there's just like all this like flaky scales. Like every time the moth like flies away, like this dust kind of. They need to
3: exfoliate. They
1: need to baby foot themselves. Right.
0: Some some get some perp plus. What's the the anti
3: dandruff shampoo? Head head shoulders. (laughs) Um, Do they have? Do you know if Mothman has antennas? Antenna. Yeah.
0: So um, uh, moths do have antenna, and they actually um, they're very sensitive in that they can. uh, Uh, detect pheromones Mm -hmm. um so they are highly attuned to using their those little feathery antenna to uh pick up on the scents of females uh and so it's kind of like uh that that's another spooky thing maybe that's why if say mothman was real that's why he could like detect natural disasters because he could like smell danger yeah he can pick
3: up the fear right right so fascinating yeah I'm super into moths. I've I've been a big moth fan for a long time, with the exception of the ones that go into your cabinets. Oh, I hate and the, your the food. Clothes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm
0: I'm there. I'm at the same thing. The the big the bigger the moth, the better. The better. Yeah. This, the ti- it's those tiny ones that are like almost flat, where it's like they go into things. your cabinets and eat your food and yeah. get on your clothes. I don't like those because those are those are pests. But every other moth, I'm every cool other with. moth is yeah. good.
3: I grew up. Um, I lived for a while in Connecticut. And they had, I think they're Luna moths, but mm-hmm. the like giant, the, the big greenish, greenish ones. Are so yeah, pretty.
0: Yeah, they're beautiful. I I was uh walking in a, a nature reserve in San Diego, and a I think it's called a it's called a sphinx moth, and they're these huge moths that actually get confused with hummingbirds sometimes oh, because really? they um they're so big, uh and they they drink nectar like hummingbirds, and their their wing their wingbeat can be mistaken for like a hummingbird's hovering. Uh, And it like landed on me and refused to let go. Like I I was having trouble prying it off and I didn't want to hurt it. So I just like let it sit on me. And then it like it just like stayed on me. And then eventually like I kind of got it off with like a leaf and put it in a little box uh, and then it just like it, it died the next day so i think it was oh no i think it was like on its deathbed, yeah and it was just it saw me as it like a this child with brightly colored clothes and
3: like was like yeah i'll, I'll sit yeah. on this, this human <laughs> you listen closely it might have been willing you its estate you just <laughs> missed
2: it i leave to you this leaf <laughs>
0: and assorted poop <laughs> So there's a couple of compelling theories about like what the real animal is behind the Mothman sightings. So theory one is the sandhill crane. Um, So uh, arguments for it is that these are big birds, so uh, they're grayish brown, so that brown color matches the description. Uh, They weigh up to 15 pounds and they're a little over four feet in height and they have a seven foot wingspan. So it's reasonably large for a bird. You're not like if you're not used to these animals, that would seem too large
3: to be a bird. Yeah.
0: They also have um, red foreheads and orange eyes. Um, Here's a picture of one looking particularly. Oh, that is
3: the (laughs) Mothman. I'm convinced.
0: Because um, they
3: also look kind of mad.
0: Yeah, they do. Or they menacing. look angry. Yeah, um, and that's just because their foreheads are fluffy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, their migration path takes them from Canada to Florida, and they pass through Kentucky. Um, but they don't they don't go through West Virginia, but they're close enough that um, in 1966, a wildlife biologist uh, was saying, oh, this is probably a sandhill crane that mm-hmm. was like veering off course. So the residents weren't used to these birds. So they were attributing the mothman to this unfamiliar bird that was bigger than any bird that's like local to the area. Um Here's the problem, and this is the problem that a lot of uh, conspiracy theorists point to as is that sandhill cranes—they got big necks—and Mothman, mm. he don't got no he neck. Has <laughs> no neck. Um, and uh, that picture I showed you, the reason that looks like the Mothman is because that his head is actually turned. So, like when they're sleeping oh. or resting, they fold their necks back and they like kind of rest it against their body. So it could be that, but if the sighting was like an agitated bird, I would imagine it wouldn't keep its neck like that. So Also
3: aren't cranes I'm totally pulling this out of the air. I know nothing about cranes, but I would assume they wouldn't like approach people. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. Like it, it's I
0: don't think generally speaking they would be aggressive. Yeah. Um like if this one's off course on its migration, it's already stressed out, maybe it yeah. was like aggressively flapping at some people but then if it's being aggressive I would imagine its neck wouldn't be at rest right but it's possible like say it's like kind of just chilling out and these guys see it and it's really spooky and they Mm -hmm. and then it like kind of stretches its wings out and they perceive that as being like you know aggressive yeah um or like in the case of the couple who there was like a couple who said that it followed them in their car Maybe it was super lost and it was like... Maybe you guys going to Florida? Where are you guys heading, Florida? <laughs> <laughs> um, so theory number two is that it is an owl, which sounds dumb because it's like, a, of course you know an owl is right. an owl, but uh, here's uh, some um, reasons it could be. One is that it's local to the area um, and there's a species of owl... Uh, called the barred owl that is in the specific region that uh, these sightings happened. Um, And their eyes actually, so different owls will have different eye shine. So um, barn owls, which were another candidate, they don't typically have red eye shine. So eye shine is when at night, like light reflects off the eye and you can actually see like the, the retina and the blood vessels. And that's why, like in photos, you have red eye. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's like when cats and other nocturnal animals, like you see those kind of glowing eyes. Um, for uh, the barn owl, their eyes don't shine red. So people are like, oh, it can't be an owl. But the barred owl, this is, I know it sounds similar, but it's barred, like B-A-R-R-E-D. Okay. Uh, like an owl that- Not like Shakespeare owl. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, their eyes do glow red at night because ah. of the red eye shine, because they have these uh, deep eyes with um, blood a lot of blood vessels that uh, will ref- ref- refract that light back. Um, and the initial descriptions of the Mothman were very owl-like. With the wings that were folded on the back, the head that blended into the rest of the body. As you know, owls kind of, they, they don't really have a neck. They do, but you can't see it. Don't They're make too them fluffy. feel bad.
3: <laughs> don't shame the owls.
0: I'm not neck shaming them. It's fine if they don't have neck. Um, but uh, you uh it doesn't seem like you would mistake right. an owl for a monster, though. But have you ever seen an owl without feathers? No. Owls when they don't have feathers are shocking looking now, oh no
3: gonna... oh no are this going to ruin owls forever yes. for me oh, um, oh no ah <laughs> ah what happened to those owls so so those are
0: they're fine they're um but these are uh probably young owls that are uh growing their feathers oh. um and they're probably a little scared so that's why they're uh standing so tall But they this this uh, viral video went online um, because people thought they were aliens.
3: They look like aliens, but also you could totally see they look kind of like moths.
0: Yeah, they look humanoid, right? Yeah. Um. So it's like these these fledgling owls who don't have that many feathers. They look they're fluffier than in in one way. They're like their their feathers are more downy, kind of like wispy. Um. But they're not fully Filled out with the feathers, so you can see their legs are really long. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another surprising thing about owls. They have mega legs, uh, legs for days. Uh, here's <laughs> a picture of uh, it's an artistic rendering of an owl without feathers. Um, wow,
3: that is so wild.
0: Yeah, they look like aliens, right? They do,
3: yeah. Or um, like very old men. Right.
0: And here's a really funny one of someone showing how how tall their legs are. It's just a person lifting the owl up, and so you can see how, how tall their They're gams are.
3: They're like two-thirds are. leg. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's like, do those legs go all the way up? And the owl's like, why, yes, indeed they do. Why? Put me on the <laughs> runway, I'll show you. Um, if you think about it, that makes sense, because raptors often have big, beefy legs uh, because they have those huge talons, and they need the, that muscle power for grasping prey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it's just, I think, su- surprising to people because owls are so fluffy their feathers cover all that leg
3: yeah it gives them like a totally different body shape right exactly but how big is the barred owl
0: uh it's not that big but i feel like if you it's i mean it's big in terms of a bird right um owls are i think it's like about it's like a couple feet uh tall okay i think if that makes sense yeah um uh and it's uh but i think it's I, I, there was a study that showed when people are like driving along the road at night they have really poor perception of the size of things yeah so if you're scared also you'll perceive something as being bigger than it really is um and they they have a pretty good wingspan um so if you can imagine like say a barred owl either a young barred owl who hadn't fully uh f- you know fledged or like a uh one with like some hair loss or, or not hair loss. Little but pattern paddle, baldness. Yeah, yeah, some owl pattern baldness. Um, just kind of like being agitated and, mm-hmm. and, and they, their hoots are also very like deep and somewhat foreboding. So I could definitely see that as being, you know, it's, you see this leggy creature with wings and no neck and glowing red eyes and it's hooting maliciously at you. And you're like, yeah, that's a that's a that's a demon. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Something bad did just happen. Yes. It's not even telling me. It already <laughs> happened.
0: That when an owl happens to you, that's <laughs> bad enough. No, I love
3: owls. I love owls too. <laughs> they can take it. We can we can rib right, owls. Right. It's fine.
0: Owls have a thick, uh, thick, feathery husk, and under that, a bunch of leg.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is Mothman just a mirror into the psychology of humanity? Maybe. David Gallo, a psychology professor at the University of Chicago, believes that Mothman sightings may be part of a sort of group culturally dictated cognition. He explains that certain cultural ideas can influence how your brain interprets stimuli. So maybe after the first Mothman sighting, every owl, bird, or blurry camera artifact became a Mothman. I think there's something pretty spooky about how we can almost create mass hallucinations just through the force of storytelling. In a way, that makes Mothman real, an apparition of collective imagination When we return, we'll talk about more cryptids, starting with an infamous bloodsucker.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position.
0: So why do we fear the bloodsucker? After all, vampires exist in almost every culture and over many centuries of folklore. One theory is that they're a manifestation of social upheaval. Vampire folklore seems to thrive in places where lower classes were persecuted. Nina Oerbach, University of Pennsylvania English professor and author of, quote, Our Vampires Ourselves, it says, vampire fears arise during times of strife, such as in Eastern Europe when peasants were persecuted, or perhaps in 1995 when farmers found that their precious livestock had been massacred. So, El Chupacabra literally translates to uh, the goat sucker, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, so, it's it's actually more recent than I had thought. Like, I'm sure iterations of it existed before 1995,
3: but- um, 95? Yeah.
0: Um, But it really hit sort of popular culture in 1995. Um, So it's a cryptid who is said to live on the American continent in Mexico, southwestern U.S., uh, and in Puerto Rico, and in Central and South America. So the first reported attack occurred in 1995 in Puerto Rico, where eight sheep were discovered with their blood sucked dry and puncture wounds in their chest. And so the distressed farmers, which for a farmer, when your livestock is killed it's like if like one sheep is killed by a wild animal like that sucks but if like eight sheep are all killed and like just drained of their blood and and then just left there and left there it's that's super upsetting um and so uh the sightings of the chupacabra uh typically describe a leathery gray beast with spines on its back and it kind of looks like a cross between like (laughs) a In descriptions like a kangaroo, a lizard, and a hairless dog, um, so nice, good combo. Yeah, a lot of pictures of like chupacabras online uh, tend to. There's actually ones that are like of. They're called jolos, I think. It's it's got a longer name. It's like jolos it, kun, it mm, jolos. We'll call them Jolo Let's talk dogs. About jolos? Yeah, they're Mexican hairless dogs, and they're. uh born without hair, perfectly healthy when they don't have hair. Um, but they, I, I think they're pretty cool looking dogs. They kind of look like Anubis. I think they may even be called Anubis dogs, mm-hmm. um, but they're, they're really neat. But like, uh, we're not used to seeing a hairless dog. So sometimes people show a dog like that and be like, that's a Chupacabra. It's right. like, no, it's just a normal dog, but he bald.
3: Um. <laughs> <laughs> he bald. But also the Mexican hairless dog, like the first association I have is the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark story where the couple goes to Mexico and they're like, and everyone's like, look, you found a hairless dog. It's so cute. And then they come back to the US and they're like, no, that's a rat with rabies. (laughs) I was like, that does not really, the the two don't resemble each other
0: at all, but it's like, like also it's not, it's like. Just uh, anatomically a rat, because uh, yeah. I've seen I've seen naked rats. Oh, for you sure, know, yeah. Bald rats—they just look like bald rats. Yeah, they do not look like yeah. dogs. Yeah. You're, you're really roasting uh scary stories to tell in the <laughs> them <That's>
3: unacceptable <true. laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um because that story also it was like that's it's not like scary so much as it just sucks but, they're d- just very dumb in this story. yeah exactly <laughs> they're really dumb and then they're just like oh right. i guess like we don't have right. the dog we thought right. we had it's a story <laughs> of like yuppie disappointment <laughs> it's also,
0: i think that's that's also like a little bit of the stuff of like things in Mexico are scary. Exactly, and weird. you
3: never know what's like that, going on in like Mexico. like that
0: weird um, yellow filter they put on uh, film when it's like like you oh, know yeah. when you go to when you go to Mexico like it's it's all yellow filter and yeah like, that like weird like uh, like like wiggly distortion the when dust things are modes hot and yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. like yeah. like when the ground is hot and it makes the air kind of distort around it's like
3: otherwise how would you know yeah how would you know that you were in Mexico unless right. they made it a completely right. different universe exactly
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so um the uh I-, I was wondering how like there could be a real chupacabra so like a demonic goat sucking creature that manages to suck the blood out of sheep without them noticing um so uh, maybe it could be like a leech or a uh, vampire bat that's like a hybrid with a dog or something. So it, it's got uh the stealth and intelligence of a dog, and then the uh the blood sucking abilities of a leech or a, um, a vampire bat. Now leeches and vampire bats both have anticoagulant in their saliva that makes it easier for them to suck up blood. But one thing I found and I had actually believed this myth before researching this that uh that their saliva contains an anesthetic that's actually not true. Really. Um so we there is no evidence of there being an uh, anesthetic in their saliva. Um there's a morphine-like substance in their neural tissue. Um so it's Confusing because there's still a possibility that maybe they're somehow secreting this mm-hmm. uh, in their bite, but there's no evidence that it's actually in their saliva or in their um, their sort of uh, mouth secretions that would make uh, would numb people too. And I read some uh, some biologists who are like saying like it's a total myth that it doesn't hurt because it can hurt <laughs> when a when a leech I bites you. I wonder. Here.
3: I was always wondering about what it felt like to get a leech because growing up, like you know, I would go swimming in shady right. like the shady lake where it's like who knows what's in there um and some like some of my family members would be like look out for leeches and some of them had had leeches but it was none of them could really remember cuz right. they just remembered being creeped out finding right. the leech but they couldn't remember like a sensation yeah and i always wondered if it was if there was something that made it not hurt or like you know able to yeah. able to like ignore the sensation or if it was just the suction was so you know Pinpointed, basically, yeah. that that can numb. I
0: think you that's know. yeah. I think it's the latter. I think since their teeth are so tiny and needle-like, yeah. um, and you probably get it while you are swimming, so you are in co- cool water, perhaps, and like you are, you are maybe not noticing all of those body sensations as much. Um, so that would be that. I'm, I suspect that would be the case. Like it's kind of like you wouldn't necessarily notice someone like poking you with a, a syringe underwater and right. cold water. Um, but uh, yeah, they but the, the anticoagulant is very real, and that that's a, that makes it easier too. So it's not like they're actively like sucking like a vacuum. Yeah. they're, they're uh, just kind of allowing the blood flow to come to into their mouth, into right? Them. And vampire bats also have teeny tiny needle-like teeth, which you know cow. It's probably like the cows like whoa, what was that? But it doesn't necessarily disturb the cow because mm-hmm. they're not like they're not like sucking on it. They're gently lapping <laughs> at the uh, I at love the wound. Bats. Yeah, there. and but here's the thing this is why the chupacabra, even if we invent this like dog vampire bat leech hybrid, it still wouldn't really work as an animal because most vampiric animals, uh, first of all, they don't necessarily kill their host, otherwise, if they're capable of that, why wouldn't they just eat the rest of the host? Yeah, um, also, uh, they tend to be small, like a vampire bat is little, little tiny cutie. Uh, and leeches, little tiny, not not as cute, but still cute. quite tiny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mosquitoes, super tiny. These are all the animal. A lot. I mean, there are more than that, but most of the animals that tend to suck blood are small, uh, and that's because something the size of a dog couldn't subsist on blood alone. Um, their body mass would be too great. They would need things like fatty tissues. Um, so uh, the real animal behind the myth of the chupacabra is probably wait for it, mangy dogs and coyotes. (laughs) Bummer. What a letdown. I know. Um, So biologists think that the reports of chupacabras are likely stray dogs in Puerto Rico, where they do have a lot of stray dogs. And um, when the dogs are malnourished, uh, they tend to get mange uh, because they're they're less capable of fighting off these. uh, So mange is caused by parasitic mites. Um, So when you have a healthy dog, they're their body, their immune system, their body is able to kind of fight off these parasites. But if they're malnourished, it's harder and then they tend to get mange. Um, and that explains the appearance of the chupacabra pretty aptly because the, that gray leathery skin is probably mangy skin mm-hmm. because there's probably a lot of scabs. It's hairless. Um, and it would also explain the spikes along the back because if they're malnourished, this is really sad, but if they're malnourished, their uh, vertebrae are probably sticking out. So those look oh, like I spines. Know. Um And their faces probably look more angular and reptilian. Um, And it would also explain why they potentially attack livestock, because if they're uh, too weak to hunt down regular prey, they probably go where they typically are too afraid to go. But they're so hungry, they're like going after livestock. Um, And they may not even know what to do with it at that point. They probably get easily spooked uh, if the rest of the livestock starts to um make a fuss, then they might run off without even eating it. so that coyotes and dogs are known to do that where they'll bite something, um, attack it maybe with the intention of eating it, but then if they get spooked, they'll run off before uh, they make this calculation and and uh, I would imagine that a malnourished dog or coyote is worse at making that calculation. They don't know what necessarily to do once they've Uh, you know, killed a sheep, like they're like, okay. And then like, there's a bunch of sheep around that are maybe jostling and angry and then they get scared. Um, And then that whole blood draining thing is actually potentially not true. So um, it's not that it's that a lie, like they're making it up. It's that it's a misconception. So veterinarians reviewed these livestock and they, they actually found that they did have blood in them. It wasn't that they had been drained dry of blood. It's that what happens is that when a Any living animal dies that has blood in it. It's a process called lividity where the blood pools at the bottom. So it's like if you cut it, like say you're doing like an autopsy on a dead sheep that's been dead for a while, it won't bleed. So a farmer who's used to slaughtering an animal that's, you know, either alive or or like maybe freshly dead or something, Mm -hmm. they would be used to blood flow when you like cut through the animal. So if it doesn't, they would very reasonably assume that it'd been drained of blood. Um and so I think that's probably the most likely uh explanation. Which but if is, there were
3: eight of the sheep killed, would that be like a pack of could have been, yeah. It could be.
0: Although, you know, it's so it's something where, you know, uh it could be a dog just like going crazy, uh biting things, uh or a coyote. Um and uh, it, it could be a pack of them. Although I would assume if it was a pack, they would successfully take one down. But they could yeah. have gotten spooked. Like mm-hmm. they could have gotten spooked and run off. Yeah. And then uh, subsequent sightings of it. Because I think the initial encounter, like they didn't necessarily see what happened. They just saw these dead sheep. So that could have been like a pack that like came in, tried to kill them, and then got spooked and ran off. Yeah. Um, and or they were <laughs> This is more morbid, but maybe they were just having fun and killing fun. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny games that they <laughs> oh farmed a- Funny coyote games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, um, and then like maybe people, like I was talking about these sort of cultural uh, memes that happen where then you interpret uh, things that you see as fitting in with um, other people's um sort of rumors and stuff. So it's like you you hear about this, like, thing, blood-sucking creature, then you see, like, a mangy coyote, and you're like, hey, maybe that's... Right. Especially one that's, like, in the area where another animal got killed. Because this chupacabra, it's been in multiple areas, right? Puerto Rico in Mexico, uh, uh, the southwest in America, and, like, Central and South America. So it's, like, these multiple sightings, unlikely a new breed of animal that, like,
3: yeah. you know... <laughs> That looks like a reptile with spines on its back. I think that's a really good hypothesis. I mean, especially because here in LA, like, you know, in the past couple of years, I think especially during the, when the drought was really, really bad, you would see coyotes that were clearly like hardier than the coyotes you'd normally see. Like coyotes where you would assume they would hunt far away from people, but that they're being driven kind of closer to people just based on lack of water, lack of resources. And some of them looked really rough, Yeah, you know.
0: Well, so my parents' house in San Diego kind of neighbors an area of uh, chaparral. We would get a lot of coyotes. We even got a mountain lion in our backyard oh, once. Yeah. And our uh, my parents' backyard is pretty friendly to these animals because it's like there's like a, a little wood fence, but there's all, the whole yard has a lot of trees and bushes and stuff. So it's like all you know very similar to kind of their their uh, native stuff on the other side of the fence, and so it's. Uh, Uh, They would love to come in. We had, like, coyote puppies that came in. But, like, so a lot of times, like, at night, you know, I'd hear coyotes and they sound like when they're in a pack they have this weird they almost sound like demonic children laughing
3: yeah they have like a it's almost sounds like a baby crying
0: yeah. or something it's yeah, like, it's, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and it's super
0: creepy it and I, I feel like there's something inherently creepy about coyotes i mean they're they're really cute too like the little puppies are are adorable but they're yeah they're 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 kind of menacing Their their yeah. whole pack structure where they kind of try to uh, like they'll they'll go in and sneakily kill your chickens or kill your livestock or even your pets. And, and that's creepy. And especially
3: I, the pack. I think the yeah. pack. My parents were out here and they were walking their dog in Griffith Park at night. And like my dad saw a coyote and yeah. then heard behind him like a rustling and he was being surrounded by the that's pack. so
0: creepy yeah yeah
3: and that was super scary but even though yeah i mean i love them and like we, i know it's
0: clearly we you live can, among you them. can be creeped out by something but still love it exactly yeah <laughs> do you have sanguivoraphobia that's a fear of vampires And if you have a fear of these blood sucking demons, maybe you also have hemophobia, a fear of blood, or blood injection injury phobia, which covers a fear of blood, injections, or seeing a physical injury. These are extremely common phobias, which kind of makes sense. Losing blood is generally not good for us, nor is getting injured or poked with something, so these very normal reactions can spiral into a full blown phobia. Often people with these phobias also experience vasovagal syncope meaning fainting, but Fainting at the sight of blood doesn't necessarily mean you're a fraidy cat. In fact, vasovagal syncope may have deep evolutionary roots. Our animal ancestors also experienced fear bradycardia, which means a slowing of the heart in response to stress. Bradycardia can lead to fainting, both in animals and humans. This may be an evolutionary defensive mechanism when the heart is in peril, either due to injury or stress. A paper by Alboni et al. called Origin and Evolution, of vasovagal syncope says, quote, the slowing of heart rate induced by the vasovagal reflex may constitute a beneficial break of cardiac pump, thereby reducing myocardial oxygen consumption. Basically, it's giving your heart a chance to rest. Unfortunately, this means the rest of you might take a very sudden and unexpected rest as well, resulting in, well, fainting. So grab your fainting couch. When we return, we'll talk about some very real, very creepy cryptids.
1: Rules and restrictions may apply.
0: So cryptids all over the world have similar features, which maybe speaks to some deep instinctive human fears. Take, for instance, the fear of giant worms. There's the Minho cow, a Brazilian legendary giant worm, a man-sized Mongolian death worm, the 1990s movie Tremor starring Kevin Bacon, and many other giant worms in folklore around the world. Maybe we have an instinctive fear of these slithery creatures. They're snake-like, they can be parasites, and they're associated with death and decay in the deep, deep underground. Well, good thing these giant, crawly, slimy worms are just legend. Oh, I'm sorry, did you forget which podcast you're listening to? Of course they're real! So the giant Gippsland earthworm, native to, of course, Australia, is a three-foot-long worm. And depending on how long it's stretched or how much it's contracted, it can be about the thickness of a medium to large-sized rope. They live in deep burrows in Gippsland, Victoria. They actually have really long lifespans, they live for several years, and they only reach sexual maturity at five years. Typically, they're never seen on land, as they spend their whole lives deep, deep in their muddy burrows. Uh, While on land they can't move too fast, inside their special wormholes they can slip and slide around pretty rapidly. In fact, they make a deep, guttural, gurgling sound, like water draining from a bathtub as they scoot through their holes, which can terrify people because you can hear it from the surface. I hate this.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's awful. That's
0: the worst thing I've ever heard.
3: (laughs) Um,
0: Which, it makes sense that people would be scared of that. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that like sort of deep in the earth kind of thing, and like just sort of sliding around in this mud, slipping and and sliding, slipping and sliding. Um, There's a this famous um, uh, Japanese comic uh, by I think it's Genji Ito um, that where it's like about people who there's like these holes in a cliff face that are people shaped, and then people like crawl in the holes and they just like get sucked in. And it's ah. it's super creepy, and I just imagine that noise, like the 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 these uh, giant. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and the and watching it was is also unpleasant. I yes. mean, I actually really like worms, but. Not this worm, I don't like it. This worm's pretty big.
0: It's yeah. a hefty, it's a it's a big boy. It's a thick worm. <laughs> it's a thick, so we, we like to call them uh, big old noodle boys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, so I want to talk about another very real cryptid, um, but perhaps in a way you might not expect. So uh, Bigfoot, or Sasquatch, uh, is maybe the most famous cryptid in the world. Uh, it's uh, found in North America, but... North America is not the only place with a Bigfoot. So there's the Baramano of northern Pakistan and Afghanistan that locals describe as a humanoid, ape like creature who abducts women to mate with. There's the Bucket Timah monkey man who is said to inhabit Singapore, which is a three to six foot tall, small difference, yeah. but uh, <laughs> uh, depending on reports, uh, it's an immortal bipedal hominid um, and actually biologists. Think sightings of this are the crab eating macaque, but when I've seen like these macaques, they're like clearly small monkeys. Yeah, they're small. Yeah. Um, uh, There's the mericoxy, which is a large ape like creature in South American jungles who. Uh, these are uh, more advanced uh, versions of Bigfoot where they actually can use bow and arrows, which I feel like... Big- That's not fair. No, I know, right? Uh, it's like Bigfoot, to me, has always been sort of a nice, like, passive guy. But you give, yeah. give Bigfoot, like, an AK-47. No, like, no, no. no you, you can't
3: arm Bigfoot.
0: Don't arm Bigfoot. Yeah. Do- keep arms away from Bigfoot, please. <laughs> <laughs> we need legislation. Yeah. Um, there's the... A Mogollon monster, uh, which is a bipedal humanoid over seven feet tall who lives in Arizona, who smells like dead fish or the musk of a snapping turtle with wild red eyes. Ooh la la. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, it's really interesting to me that so many cultures have a Bigfoot. Um, and I'm kind of just speculating on why. Uh, some of my f- theories are uh, that it's like we have a kind of uncanny valley fear of apes. Yeah. Because they're almost humans they look so close to humans but they're just not and so it's like we I I think that um so the uncanny valley is that description of that graph of your like comfort level when you look at like robots or humanoid uh cgi thing um and as it gets more and more real like your comfort level is like fine maybe even goes up a little but then like as it gets super close to being realistic but not quite the uh your comfort and anxiety like Like, your comfort goes way down and dips into the Unkelly Valley. And then it goes back up as we get to, like, basically real human face.
3: It seems like it's almost a defense against getting tricked. Yeah. You know? It's interesting, yeah. It's super interesting. I I love... I mean, I remember, like, when I first heard about the Uncanny Valley and I was like, this is, like, a place I like to be. (laughs) This is the creepy place, the creepy zone.
0: I love looking at, uh, like, weird animatronics. I I really enjoy the Uncanny Valley. Me
3: too. It's fun. It's a fun place to be. Because it it also, it's like, it doesn't really make sense why it feels so spooky.
0: It's like going on a roller coaster, but it's happening inside your amygdala. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But
3: also, like, when you were talking about our complicated relationship to apes, I think it also has to do with how guilty we feel. Mm. I mean, I I took my kids to the zoo um like last year. I think it was part of a field trip. And we spent a long time like with the apes and they were taking care of their children and we were watching them from behind glass. And like when we saw the chimps, they were like coming up to the glass and interacting. And you just get this sense of how wrong yeah. this is, like how closely like right. you feel like it could be swapped the right. positions um and so sometimes i wonder about with bigfoot if it's like we're kind of projecting the we revenge want, yeah. of you we, know.
0: we want there to be like a secret society of big because yeah. it's almost like then maybe we haven't completely uh raised the entire planet like maybe there are secret pockets of just untamed wilderness and i yep. think that's super appealing I think, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me because I think with a lot of other animals, especially like less human-looking animals, we can kind of like go like, okay, but they're just animals. But mm-hmm. with apes, it's almost like looking into a mirror. Yes, so it's, exactly. It's it's super that that idea of like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe animals can feel things. Right, yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, uh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also think that we tend to anthropomorphized thing like on the other other end of the scale where it's like so so um when you see like faces in the clouds or like in tiles with like random patterns and stuff it's called pareidolia and that's kind of a um your brain really wants to see that human face schema and it's uh we develop it really early on so like little babies start to develop the face schema, and they actually respond to like say you make like a uh, face where you put the eyes and the mouth in the right place, and you hold it up to a baby, and they're like they can recognize that. And then if you like, you know, you know, make it make it kind of like more bizarre, like the proportions off. They don't they don't like that. They're as like much. take that away. No, no, I didn't yeah, order like, this. you yeah. like, uh, no, thank you. I will not like to see the new Sonic movie. Right, <laughs> thanks. Um, but uh, I I almost wonder if like we experience this like pareidolia uh, when we're looking at say like a bear in the distance and mm-hmm. sometimes bears can walk on their hind legs um, like they're capable of it they don't that's not their normal mode of locomotion but if you see a bear on its hind legs like from a distance I could see like you know you kind of project like a human face onto it totally because it's like that's in human position so like maybe that's because uh, a lot of the um, I think a lot of the samples sent into labs and stuff of like this is Bigfoot fur and stuff tends to be like bears right uh, or deer, too. Yeah. Um,
3: deer, that's interesting.
0: I think it's because, like, th- people will see, like, a, a chunk of fur somewhere, and it's like, maybe this is yeah. Bigfoot, but it's just deer. <laughs> it's not Bigfoot, guys. Um, but uh, good news. There is a real-world Bigfoot, a scientifically verifiable Bigfoot. It's called Gigantopithecus blackie, um, which is extinct. Sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> um, so uh, Gigantopithecus uh, is a species of prehistoric ape that lived from 9 million years ago to maybe about 100,000 years ago. We're not sure. There's very limited fossil evidence. Um, all of the fossils we've found have been in South China and Vietnam. But we have just enough fossils to know what, about what they looked like. So they were 9 feet tall no. and up to 1,300 pounds. What? Yeah, so we have their mandibles and jaws, and based on the size of their their mandibles, which means we know what their skull size is, we know how big they had to be to support such a big skull. And like also their closest living relatives, uh, orangutans, uh, and we just use that anatomy to kind of build this animal up. and it's enormous
3: that's like uh, the weight of a horse
0: yeah it's uh for comparison gorillas only weigh up to about 430 pounds um so yeah it's like the size of a bear Uh, that is wild yeah um and uh we know how big they were we know that they were hominids uh and we know that some of their closest relatives are the orangutans, which they're actually, uh, they're like eight times the size of orangutans. Um, but we uh, don't know how they walked. So uh, most paleontologists and biologists assume that they must have walked on all fours because with such a massive body, that's hard to imagine uh, being able to support that weight. But the argument for them being bipedal is that the shape of the jawbone, which is like this U shape, mm-hmm. uh, would allow for the windpipe to go traverse through the jaw. So like in, if you look at the anatomy of like say a gorilla that is, uh, walks on all fours, their skull is like forward and then their spine kind of forms this slope. So their uh, trachea and their windpipe actually goes like not through the jaw, but like kind of behind it. Uh-huh. Um, but for us, like if you feel your trachea, it's like right It's, it's right through that, um, that little U-shape of mm-hmm. your jawbone. And that allows our heads to sit erect on our spines. Um, so there's that argument that like, well, maybe because their jaws are kind of U-shaped, um, of course, we have very little fossil evidence. So um, I my personal feeling, as much as I want them to be bipedal, I feel like they probably at most would kind of walk slumped over with like kind of maybe one uh, foot on the ground, maybe like three legs, maybe four legs yeah. sometimes, maybe sometimes bipedal, like maybe – that that, uh, jaw design and their skull design allowed them to stand up for longer periods of time. It's just such a massive animal. I can't imagine it being able to just stroll around like, do, 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 (laughs) walk it over to this
3: tree. Well, what did it eat? Do we know what it ate?
0: We actually have a pretty good idea of what it ate based on uh, fossil records of um, sort of the uh, like uh, plant leavings in the teeth and Mm -hmm. like the scraping marks. So... It's thought that they ate bamboo, seeds, and fruit. So, you know, hippies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which I think is great uh, because they're so huge uh, that they probably had no natural predators, but they were just like these these hippies hanging out. Vegans. Vegans hanging out, eating uh, bamboo, seeds, and fruit. Now, they could have eaten more of an omnivorous diet, and we wouldn't know because we don't have the fossil records of it. Right. But we do know they at least ate bamboo. Um, I,
3: sound, I love these guys. How I come know. I never heard of this? I, I think
0: it's I think it's just um, because there's not there's not a full skeleton of them, so yeah. it's like it maybe it's like oh a fragment of a jawbone. Why is that interesting? Right, right. Um, yeah. but when you really build it up from that, it's like this is an amazing animal. The reason it probably went extinct is wait for it climate change. Oh, Whoops. Man. Um, So the climate change was turning its forests into savanna. And since it was so large, it couldn't really adapt to the more meager food offerings. So smaller primates were able to go, okay, like our normal fruits and stuff are gone. But hey, we can still do this other stuff. Yeah. Um, But like with such a big animal, it's sort of like how um, pandas, um, if you take away their bamboo, they can't survive as a species. Yeah. Um, and which is interesting because like the Gigantopithecus also ate bamboo. Um, and, uh, it's to me kind of, um, it's very prescient. I mean, like last week we talked about the Amazon rainforest and climate change and like, you know, sure, we're not the size of the Gigantopithecus, but our society really is. We are a huge, huge society with so many people and we have such a high, uh, a need for food and and land and we're stuff. the vampires now. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: that I don't know if we could adapt to uh, a um, planet that gets downgraded to uh, not not necessarily being as human friendly. Yeah. Um. So you know, but uh, you know, maybe in like a few million years, like the next smaller iteration of humans will look at our uh skulls and be like, I wonder if they walked on like two feet or three right. feet. You know, like. They uh, were all vegans, <laughs> clearly, like they yeah. should have been. They they were very against something called straws. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, the straws.
0: Yeah. Um, but that's, that's an incredible story to me. It's like, Hey guys, Bigfoot was real. I mean, they're yeah. dead, yeah. but it was real. But
3: once upon a time, I wonder like how that kind of came into play and in, like influencing Bigfoot, the legend.
0: I think it helps propagate it. I don't think it starts it, but I think when people hear about this, they're like, okay, an animal like this is possible. So it's not impossible. It's not yeah. possible, which I mean, there's a certain logic to that. I just personally think that, well, when we do find species that we think have been extinct but actually aren't, it's usually in places that are really hard to explore. So there was a tree kangaroo found, I think, in Indonesia in an area that was extremely remote, very difficult to explore. And that that was a case of a pretty large animal mm-hmm. that we thought had gone. It's not like huge. The tree kangaroo is about the size of a, you know, medium to large size dog. Um, but like it's... Uh, you know, it's a fairly meaty animal. It's unlike like when a really small animal we think goes extinct, and then it's like, oh, but we found this insect over here. Like that kind of makes more sense. But with a tree kangaroo, it's like, oh, that's really exciting, right? Um, it's a specific species of tree kangaroo. Not all. We knew like other tree kangaroos are still around, but um, but it's still really exciting. But in that case, it's like they're either really deep in the sea, like coelacanths yeah. were. Are these deep sea fish that are kind of this like evolutionary throwback um, that are like millions of years old and like and they look it. They they do. they really look old. <laughs> they're, yeah, I'm sorry to say, but they don't look great for them. No, they don't. They don't. <laughs> they
3: need a little lift,
0: right? But you know they're deep, deep in the sea, so that's why we didn't realize they're still around. So like the idea that like some extinct uh gigantopithecus is just chilling out in the Appalachia I, I don't know <laughs> I want
3: to believe but I want to believe too believe. I really
0: I'd be so pumped if it right. was real I would be so psyched
3: just but it, the sheer size yeah. is like exciting but
0: maybe we could scrape off some of that DNA from the jaw clone and,
3: it clone it Jurassic exactly. Park
0: um, so before we go, you said there was a news item, and I want to Oh hear yes, it.
3: okay. So my friend Dan Hernandez, um, who has guested on Nightcall before with all of his cryptid knowledge, his dad was like a cryptozoologist. That's really cool. It was so cool. Yeah. I was like, damn, I thought my dad was cool, but this this is a very cool dad. Um, but he just sent us. This link to I think I'm gonna actually find out what the website is called. It's like a it's a cryptozoology, Cryptomundo. Nice, very <laughs> festive name. That is festive, Cryptomundo. Um, but it was this article about a cryptid called the Awful, mm. uh, and it was described as looking like a griffin, kind of huh. with a long serpent's tail, wings that were I think ten feet each. Wow. Um, and it would grab prey in its talons. Right. And so people reported that someone had seen it and they thought it was holding like a baby, a crying baby in its oh, talons. okay. That's but then good. later they were like, maybe it was just a... I think it was the a article, baby doll. Yeah, maybe one of the... A baby alive. <laughs> baby um, alive. <laughs> but I think it was first discovered in 1925 and H.P. Lovecraft was in Vermont, I think visiting friends, and he heard people talking about this thing and he said that from the way that they talked about it and their responses to it he kind of believed it was real and i think it was one guy saw this thing had a heart attack like on the spot <laughs> had to be carried home and i in 1925 fashion they're like and then he was carried home and like and where, recovered where was the,
0: the sightings
3: woods in, woods of vermont i see interesting yeah. Yeah. um but then this uh, this article that was on Mundo cited a newspaper article from 2006 where a reader had written in, I guess, and said, I, I saw this. Everyone will think I'm crazy, so I want to be anonymous, but I've seen one and I think they're real. Like I'm usually a pretty skeptical person, but I believe this thing right. is real and it's called The Awful. Um, I mean,
0: there were real animals that existed that were like this. The pterosaurs, um, so that's like pterodactyl, Mm -hmm. um, that's like the quetzalcoatlus, uh, that's the giant one, that's like the size of a giraffe that was thought to be able to fly. Wow. Um, So, um, but I wonder if like these sightings, I don't know, this is just throwing it out there, and of course I'm not sure exactly where these sightings are, if this makes sense, but if it's like some kind of hawk that has caught a snake, because
3: like, and that would look like a tail, yeah.
0: So predatory birds do uh, prey on snakes, and sometimes they actually wrestle in the sky. Um, and so it's like I, I wonder if someone could see that and be like, "That's a that's a big." flying animal
3: with and a tail. And that would mess with you for a yeah. long time because it is it is like a strange thing to right. see, like the actual act you're of not, a hawk wrestling with a snake. In and if mid-air. you're not expecting
0: that, if you don't know about like hawks preying on snakes and you see that, that's got like, and then you have this kind of cultural uh, understanding of like a griffin or like a, a monster it's like that image will be interpreted by your brain as being like a griffin monster yep. yeah
3: yeah totally that's actually a really good call because i i initially thought a turkey vulture oh yeah um because i know that they kind of kick around up there and they're yeah. huge yes like, especially yes. i think maybe just the way that they fly yeah. it looks it's very like dramatic yeah. looking and they look big but yeah, that well, they are, doesn't they explain are, the tale.
0: Well, but they could be.
3: It could be a turkey vulture holding like a dead lizard. That yeah, and especially if it were like a lot. But I guess like a lizard in Vermont. Like what kind of lizards no, do they, they even have? I mean, up they there? do have snakes, right? Yeah, snakes. Yeah. yeah, and and honestly, I I think maybe like the giant eastern salamander might oh, be up there. Oh, interesting. Yeah, those are huge and like strange looking. Could do you think a turkey vulture could pick one of those up? I think, I mean, I've seen some really big turkey vultures. Yeah. I looked on, I, cause I, that was like my first thought was that it must be a turkey vulture and then, yeah. but I mean, just like you said, when you see an animal that it kind of like startles you in your mind, it's just, you right. automatically make it bigger than it right. is. So in my mind, I was like, turkey vultures, sure, well, like 15 foot wingspan. Like, and I no. mean, this
0: has happened to me. So like when I was, I was out walking my dog once and I saw this thing with glowing bright yellow eyes and it was standing like a humanoid and it was like this furry thing that looked it was like it I, I was just like my brain was like monster yeah uh and it didn't help that my dog was like growling at it because I was like oh my god it is a mon- This monster right. it's like oh my god monsters are real there was that moment where I was like mo- holy crap like demons and monsters are real because here's one like right. standing in front of me on its hind legs and then it like uh and it was, like, kind of making a weird noise, like, a, and it was, like, really freaking me out. And then it, like, it was, it was, it looked huge to me. And it got on its all fours. It was a skunk. No, you're kidding. Yeah, it was just a skunk that was, like, on its hind legs for some reason. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, trying to scope me out because it's, like, who is this, who is this person and her very angry little tiny dog. Right. And the reason it looks so big, it first of all, skunks can appear quite big because they're very fluffy and they can kind of puff up right yeah they puff up and it was on an incline so in my brain I shortened the distance between us because it was so scary so it looked like I thought it was human sized and then I realized no it's a skunk and it's normal skunk size but it really like if I hadn't gotten that verification that it was a skunk when it like flopped down on its fours and I saw that little white stripe I, I may have like been like yeah I saw I saw a Bigfoot yeah <laughs>
3: total Sasquatch yeah.
0: situation and then like especially at night and everything's creepy and every like when your clothes piled in the corner of your room at night yes. look like some kind of evil demon like with giant teeth and it's like a shirt that's folded weird yep yep
3: <laughs> <laughs> not that that's ever happened to me <laughs> of course My not. not messy house <laughs> Um, yeah, it's I think I think you kind of like hit the nail on the head when you talk about how we're so surveilled and like we're there's nowhere to hide, you yeah. know, and, and and also like so much knowledge is available to us and we have so little privacy that I think there is something of wanting to believe in animals yeah. that are so elusive and, you know, kind of leading the existence that we used to have yeah. more access to.
0: I mean, one thing I think that should reassure people is there are so many species of animals that we have not discovered yep. that exist uh, deep under the water and, and I mean, even in, in forests and in rainforests especially because of the huge amount of biodiversity. Um, and I think it's that megafauna, which are like something like a Bigfoot, it's like a, or like a big uh, cat that's like a cougar or something, the, or uh, the, the mammoths, Those are harder to really, like, you know, we've sort of run out of megafauna to discover. And I think that those big, magnificent animals that too often go extinct, you know, that's that's sad. And I think we we want, We want there to be secret, like these big, secret, cool animals like the Loch Ness Monster and the Bigfoot. I want that too. I just, I'm skeptical. Now (laughs) we
3: just have to clone them. It's the only way. We do have to
0: clone them. Let's clone a Gigantopithecus and then we got a
3: Bigfoot and he's going to be super chill. Yeah. Of course he's chill. What if he's like super
0: annoying? He's always like bogarting all the weed.
3: (laughs) (laughs) He does sound like a frat guy. I was like, maybe people are just seeing like... Really confused, stoned frat right, guys. Right. And like, that's <laughs> a Bigfoot, like yes, yeah,
0: that's that's very Encino man, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so you got anything to plug? You want to tell people a little bit about the podcast and where yeah. they can find it? Yeah,
3: so we're, um, our podcast, Night Call, it's me and uh, my friends Molly Lambert and Emily Yoshida. We do the podcast once a week. We uh, took a little bit of a hiatus because we were moving networks over to iHeartMedia, and we're so excited to be doing it here. So, um, yeah, look out for Night Call. We talk about all things related to late-night thoughts, so conspiracies, weird animals outer space psychic stuff advice um also if you want to call with a question or a late night thought you can give us a call at 24046 night because we take calls uh leave a voicemail and we answer them on the air i might just call you guys please do <laughs> we would love it
0: it's gonna be three o'clock in the morning i'm like do you think do you think bees are planning something oh that's exactly <laughs> our jam. yeah
3: <laughs> Uh, can people find you on social media? Yes, so we are Nightcall Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and Nightcall Pod on Twitter.
0: Awesome, and you can find us on the internet, creaturefeaturepod.com, creaturefeaturepod on Instagram, creaturefeetpod on Twitter, F E A T, not F E E T, that's very different. Uh, you can find me, I'm at Katie Golden on Twitter, and I'm also at Pro Bird Rights, where I am definitely the human, and <laughs> it's not the bird controlling me, that's
3: Shh, don't tell.
0: (laughs) And thanks to the Space Cossacks for their awesome song, Exolumina.
2: Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now.
4: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own.
0: Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride